I always had this recurring nightmare that as I was going up to get my diploma, I'd fall and it would cause this domino effect of destruction and take everyone down in its path. Well, congratulations on not doing that and graduating with beauty and grace. Thank you. Hmm. What is this? Oh, what are you guys doing here? Sarah Marie, will you marry me? Yes.
I hate that last song. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Every time I see that video from the old days, like, I can't stand that song. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. I'm glad for those who are watching us at home as well, on the treadmill, driving in your car, wherever you are, we're glad that you're a part of the Sagebrush family. We are in the middle of a series, as Daniel said, called Mixtape. Remember in the old days, some of you old timers know what I'm talking about. You'd wait all day long for the DJ to play that one song so you could record that song and put it on a cassette tape and give it to your girlfriend because you couldn't say the word yourself. You had to find a song that would do it. You kids today are so spoiled with your Spotify and your iTunes and your playlist. You just pick a couple of quick songs, make a nice little playlist. We had to work hard back in the day. Well, we're talking about relationships during this series. More specifically, we're talking about married relationships. I read a story this past week about a woman and her husband. They were fighting all the time. I mean fighting all the time. They just couldn't get together on any anything, no matter what. She was frustrated. So she went to her husband. She said, honey, I want you to know that I've been praying that God would take care of all of our conflicts by taking one of us to heaven. And when God answers my prayer, I'm going to move in with my sister. That's what she said to him. That's terrible, right? Well, one of the things you're going to know in a dating situation, a marriage situation, where you put two people together, there's going to be conflict. And there's a reason for that. It's because God made men and women to be different. Males and females don't relate the same way. Let me show you three different ways as to why we're going to have conflict. Three ways that we're different. First way that we're different is that we're biologically different. Now, I'm not going to go into the obvious things that make us different from a male to a female. If you don't know what those things are, go get a book, okay, and figure that out yourself. But there's obvious things that make us different. Let me tell you some things you might not know. Did you know that a woman doesn't get sick as often as a man? That means that men are snottier than women. I always thought it was the other way around, to be honest with you. But no, that's not true. Women actually don't get sick. Also, listen, women die. They live longer than a man does. Men die earlier than women. You think, well, what's a man got going for him? Well, men, here's what you got. You've got a skeletal structure that is heavier than that of a woman. So, ladies, you'll enjoy this. It's a scientific fact that a man's skull is twice as thick as that of a woman's skull. Now, there's no reason for you ladies to applaud that. You should have played it cool like, oh, I didn't know that, when all along we know you did, right? We're biologically different. Let me give you another way that we're different. We are behaviorally different. Now, I'm talking in generalities. This isn't for every single person, but generally speaking, we are behaviorally different. For example, women are very in touch with their emotions. They're very in touch with their feelings. Men, not so much, okay? Ann Landers, years ago, she did a survey. And she did it with all the people who read her little column. And she said, listen, I'm going to give you an option between two things, ladies. And you get to choose which of these two things that you would pick. Here were your choices. Ladies, you can think about it yourself. You can play along at home as well. You ready? Here's your two choices. Uh, You could have a night of physical intimacy with your husband. Or you could have a night of intimate conversation with your husband. Now, men, I don't need to ask you which one you would choose, all right? I think that's pretty, pretty obvious. But here, it was a shocker to me because 90,000 women responded to this, and it was almost unanimous. 
when they had the choice between a night of physical intimacy and a night of intimate conversation, you ready for this? They, they chose the conversation. I didn't see that coming. And to be honest with you, it's quite disappointing. You know what I mean? But that's what they chose. Why is that? Because women get connected through their emotions. They get connected through their feelings. Let me explain something. This will help a lot of women and men out in their married relationship. Men communicate for information. Women communicate for intimacy. This, this will save you a whole lot of trouble if you could just understand where they're coming from. We're just different. Men use communication for information. Women use communication for intimacy. Let me illustrate. A woman can call another woman on the phone and say, let's go out for lunch. And they don't need to know if there's an agenda. They don't need to know what the conversation's gonna be about. They just wanna get together to, for lunch just so they can share their emotions with each other. Now, guys aren't like that at all. For example, if a guy calls me on the phone, he says, hey, Todd, I'd like to go to lunch with you. My immediate response is, what's up? What's up? Why do you want to go to lunch with me? What's the motivation? What's the agenda? Let me prepare for the lunch so when I come, I know what I'm you know, getting set up for so I can give you some good answers to the questions that you've got, right? I want to know that. If he says on the other end of the phone, hey, I just miss you. And I just thought we could catch up. I'm going to take a hard pass at that point in time. Because men don't like to talk about their emotions. Men don't like to talk about their feelings. Let me give you a third way that we're different. We're also different verbally. I've taught this to you before. And hopefully this will give some hope to some of the ugly guys that are here today. But, but women connect to a man via their ears. And men connect to a woman via their eyes. That's why you can see ugly guys married to beautiful women. Now, some of you look at me as if you, I don't know what I'm talking about, but there's examples of this all over this room. And right there, right there, over there, right here. You know, I see a guy, he's walking with a beautiful woman. I think, man, he learned the fine art of communication. That's what he did right there. That's amazing. Men don't like to talk about their feelings. Men don't talk, like to talk about their emotions. When two guys get together, they don't talk about anything other than surfacey stuff. That's just the way that they are. We talk about sports. We talk about the weather. We talk about current events. You'll, you'll, you'll rarely see two guys get together and they're talking about the Lobo game. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys just kind of changes the conversation. So, you know, last night I watched a movie and the end made me cry. That's not going to happen. For the most part, that's not going to happen. You're not going to have a guy go to another guy and go, I don't know if my wife finds me attractive anymore. I don't think that's, does this color of shirt look good on me? Is this my color me beautiful color? That's what I want to know. I don't think he's going to say, do, do my hips look big and my thighs look big in these jeans? I don't know. Let me, let me tell you something else. You're enjoying this a lot, aren't you? Let me tell you something else that's kind of interesting. Is that men don't like to talk about things that are, that are deep and, and, and intimate. And they use communication to fix things. That's what we do. We're fixers. So you come, ladies, with a problem. We're not there just to listen to you. We're there to fix you. Okay? And this frustrates women a lot. So if my wife comes home from work. This is a mistake, guys. This is, this is a mistake. My wife comes home from work. And she's tired. She's oh, I'm just absolutely exhausted. 
Well, me being a man, I want to fix it. So I say, oh, you're tired? And she says, yeah, I'm exhausted. I say, go to bed. Because <laughs> that fixes it, right? Go to bed. That makes sense. But that's not what she wants to hear. Men, that's not what she wants to hear. You know what she wants to hear? She wants to hear, oh, honey, lay down on the couch. Put your feet up on my lap. Let me massage your toes. I'll make it all better for you, baby doll. That's what she wants. But go to bed is so easy, you know? It's like, and if, throw a baby doll in there, right? Go to bed, baby doll. Because we're so different, we're going to have conflict. So we've got to make certain that our marriages and our relationships are built on a solid foundation. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture today in Matthew chapter 7. Now Matthew chapter 7, at the very end of that chapter, is the end of the greatest sermon that was ever given. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is concluding the sermon. He's just gone through all these different things that he wants us to understand, that he wants us to know, that he wants us to apply to our lives. And he gives this last story as the exclamation point to this amazing sermon. Let's look at it. It's called The Wise and the Foolish Builder. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. Look at verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Okay, so in the story, we got a couple of couples, and they're building a home. And how do you build a home? You build the home one decision at a time. You build the home one choice at a time. And then both homes, they come, and there are storms. And the storms in the story are identical for the home built on sand and the home that's built on a solid rock. They're identical storms. And this is the way it is. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to have the same storms. There's going to be financial storms. There's going to be in-law storms. There's going to be stubbornness storms. There's going to be times you don't want to compromise with the other person. There's going to be a lot of thunder. There's going to be a lot of lightning. There's going to be a lot of not seeing eye to eye and all of that. Now, the only difference between the two homes was that the one that was built on the solid foundation stood through the storm. But the one that was on the sand fell with the great crash. So what was the difference between the two? It was what their foundation of their home was on. Now, you already know where this is going, right? If your foundation isn't on Jesus, you're on shaky ground. If you don't have Jesus Christ to be the center of your life, if you're not seeking him with everything that you've got together as a couple, if you're not really using the things that we talk about here on the weekends and during the weeks in small groups and you're not incorporating those in your actual marriage, your marriage is on shifting sand. Now, some of you are looking at me and you're saying, okay, Todd, are you telling me that someone who's not a Christian can't have a great marriage because Jesus isn't the center of their marriage? The answer to that question is no, that's not true. I know lots of people, you probably know lots of people also that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they have a very good relationship. 
They, they do. They, they, they interact really well with each other. They might even deal with conflict better than a, a Christian couple does. They can have a very successful relationship. But I believe that Jesus adds a whole new level or dimension of intimacy that two people can actually experience, that two people can actually engage in. Let, let, let me try to illustrate it this way. I'm going to put on the big board over here uh, three pieces of a pyramid, okay? These are the three levels of intimacy in a marriage, and the bottom level is the level uh, of the physical relationship. Now, this is the bottom level of a married relationship, of a dating relationship. You see them, they see you, you get goosebumps, they get butterflies, you can't wait to be with them, you want to hang out with them, you want to spend time with them. And then the way God's got it set up is that once you get married, then you get to unwrap that gift that God has given you, and you get to enjoy the physical intimacy of two people becoming one, honey, hush, boom, chakalaka. It's a good time, right? It's a beautiful thing. And there's lots to explore in the physical realm, isn't there? There's a second level to intimacy in marriage, and this is the mental aspect of a married relationship. This is when you begin to converse with each other. You begin to share thoughts. You begin to share ideas with each other. You begin to learn the fine art of communication. You begin to learn to communicate and deal with conflict with each other and, and put the needs of the other person ahead of yourself. You look at different ideologies and you debate different topics and different things and you come to a conclusion about these things. You find yourself mentally connected. You find yourself stimulated in conversation at level number two. This is where most marriages live. This is where most marriages exist. And they can exist in this realm and have a really good marriage. And they can do this for 50, 60, 70 years. I mean, they can experience the physical and the mental aspects. And there's a whole lot to do there. And there's a whole lot to explore. But they're missing the greatest level of intimacy. And that's the spiritual level. You're a spirit being. You were made in the image of God, and God placed his soul inside of you. And so when two people connect together on, on the spiritual realm, they're not holding anything back from each other anymore. They're, they're, they're vulnerable with their thoughts and their feelings and their fears and, and their hopes for the future. They just bear their very soul to the other person. And the most intimate thing that, that a couple can ever do is, is they get on their knees and they pray to, to God above. And you say, God, knit us together. Make us stronger. Make us to where we're, we're more thinking about the other person than we are ourselves. Is there any more vulnerable, intimate thing that two people can do other than seeking the will of God Almighty on their knees? Two souls coming together. This is the level that most people don't understand. This is the level that most people never ever engage in. They come to church, but they don't ever do anything with it. And so they never find that they are deep, intimate soulmates. They're Christian couples in name only, but not in practice. Well, God wants something greater for you, and God wants something greater for me. He wants us to connect with each other on the highest level of love that there is.
You want to know what the goal of every married relationship should be? It's found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the goal of every marriage. That you would love each other as Christ has loved us. That's the church, right? The church is not a building. The church is the people. And what did Jesus do for the church? He lived for the church. He died for the church. He rose again for the church. He prepares a a way for us to get to heaven. And and he's preparing a home for us in heaven. He gave up everything for us. He put our needs consistently, constantly uh, above his own. He served us. Listen, there's a lot of people, you can have a relationship that's level one, level two, and you can have a great time. You can have a wonderful time. But level three, level three is what you're shooting for. To where you can't tell where one of you ends and the other of you begins because you become one. I can see some of you guys, you're scratching your head like, well, I don't get what he's talking about. So let me put this in terms that you can understand it, all right? If you'll go after level three living, Well, the difference between level one and level two and level three is like a black and white TV compared to a TV we have today. Now, level one, level two is like a black and white TV. Nothing wrong with a black and white TV. Black and white TV, that's a good time right there. I can watch a black and white TV, right? And when you turn the black and white TV on, you see a nice picture. You can see what's going on on the TV. And you can hear sound coming out of the TV. But why would anybody settle for a black and white TV? Don't you want an 85-inch Samsung 8K High-definition TV with, with Bose Direct, uh, THX, surround sound all around. Why would you settle for a black and white TV? It's the same way in our relationship with the Lord when it comes to our marriage. Why are we settling? Why are we shooting for something that is less than? You see, when you come together in a married relationship, It's no longer about your needs. It's about our needs. It's no longer about what you want. It's about what we want. It's no longer about your agenda and pushing your will upon the other person. But it's about meshing your will together. So you're making decisions together and not in isolation of each other. Now, can I tell you something? There's very few marriages that reach this level. There's very few marriages that reach this level of intimacy. And do you know why? Because we don't have this just coming out of us naturally. I I don't know about you. I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. I don't have unconditional love just coming out of me naturally. It just doesn't flow out of me, unconditional love. It just doesn't. Conditional love is what flows out of me. And, And I don't have the ability to forgive and forget quickly. I just don't have it. I'm the kind of person who will hold a grudge. I'm the kind of person who will do the silent treatment. I'm the kind of person who will hang it over somebody's head for a few days, a few weeks, so they've paid good and ready for it, and then I'll maybe let them off the hook, right? That's what I'll do. And I'm not the kind of person who naturally thinks about serving you know, my wife before I serve myself. That's not natural for me. My natural inclination is, hey, where's the, where's the, where's the water? You know, where, where's the dinner? Where, where, what's going on? It's not about serving. Now, yeah, you look at me like, I can't believe you'd say that, Todd. You're our preacher. Well, don't look at me so arrogantly. I know I'm jacked up, but you're jacked up too because you don't have this flown out of you naturally either, do you? I mean, if you're honest, just go ahead and turn to your spouse. Do you have that? I don't have that. 
I need help. It's just amazing to me the number of Christian couples who never seek God for help. That they'll never admit that they're weak in these areas. They always act like they've got it all together and then they go home and they don't apply any of this to their life and their, and their wife and their husband. They're just disappointed. And nobody's serving each other. Nobody's caring for each other. Nobody's loving each other. Nobody's forgiving each other. And, and here's what you gotta do. You gotta surrender your will to his will. For you and I to love our spouse the way God intended our spouses to be loved, we have to die to ourselves. And we have to allow the love of Christ to so fill us that it overflows out of us. And I can't have that happen unless I spend time with him. I, I can't have that happen in my life on a day-by-day -day basis. I mean, if I'm not spending time with the Lord, I'm jacked up, man. And I start to have a shorter fuse with other people. I start treating people with less than. I start putting my needs ahead of other people. But it's when I open up the word of God, it's when I study the word of God that he humbles me. That he reminds me of my great need and he fills me with his love. He fills me with his grace. He fills me with his goodness. And it's just shocking to me the number of people who call themselves Christian, but they never spend any time with God. And they never surrender their will over to him. They keep living in their own power, in their own strength, in their own way. And they wonder why there's not intimacy in their relationship. They wonder why their marriage has somewhat drifted apart. We're not even seeking God individually, let alone seeking God together. And so what happens as a result is our marriages begin to fail. And they're not everything that God wants them to be. I've been married for 28 years. It's been 24 of the best years of my life, I'll be honest with you. Why, why do we have so many bad days? Because we weren't seeking God. We weren't surrendered fully to the Lord. We weren't seeking God individually. We weren't seeking God corporately. But man, we went to church. We nodded our head in agreement with what the preacher said. It's just we had a really hard time going home and doing anything about it. You know, you know what I found to be true? It is that couples who seek Jesus and put him as the center, they find that Jesus is the sanity in the midst of an insane world. That Jesus is the one who gives us the ability to forgive when we don't have a single thing inside of us that wants to forgive what the person just did to us. I have found that Jesus changes our whole attitude and our whole outlook on life to where we start looking at the needs of other people before we look at our own needs first. That Jesus is the one that holds us together. That Jesus is the one who brings hope to a hopeless situation. And you know it. You know these things to be true. And yet we, we sit here and, and we nod our head in agreement to everything that I say. Week after week after week. I'm up here nodding my head in agreement. But then we leave this place. And we don't apply these things. And we wonder why we're so distant. We wonder why we feel so far apart from the other person. Let me ask you a question. If we put cameras up in your house and we recorded you, not the bedroom, that's weird, but the other rooms, and you knew they were there, could we see a difference between the way you relate with your family and the way you relate with your spouse compared to someone who doesn't know Christ? 
I mean, would there really be a difference in the way that you talk to each other compared to someone who doesn't know the Lord? Would there really be a difference in the way that you handle conflict? Would the cameras pick up all those moments and all those opportunities where you really address the problem rather than attacking the other person? Would the cameras in your home find all these opportunities and all these ways in which you serve the other person and didn't think of yourself first? Would the cameras pick up you guys praying together? Would they ever pick up, you know, like maybe you're reading the Bible together, going to church together, you know? Would there be enough compelling evidence if we looked at a week's worth of what you do together as a couple that we can convict you of actually being a Christian couple? Do you know what the truth of the matter is? is there's not a whole lot of difference between a lot of people who call themselves Christians, their homes, compared to those who don't have a relationship with God. And when we put the tapes side by side, they pretty much treat each other the same way. They're just as harsh, and they're just as caustic, and they say just as many mean words, and they just as much attack the person rather than the problem. And you never see them read the Bible. You never see them talk about the things of God. You never see them praying together as a couple or as a family. No, they say they're Christian. It's just all the things that they nod their head about here on the weekend, they just can't seem to get it together at their home. They're Christian in name only but not in behavior. And then they have the audacity to say, why doesn't this stuff work for me? Let me ask you a question. In the parable that Jesus gave between the wise builder and the foolish builder, did the wise builder know something the foolish builder didn't about building a house? No, they they knew the same things, right? They, They knew how to build a house. Both houses were solid, but one ignored the foundation. He knew he needed to put it on a solid foundation, but he just ignored that. He probably shook his head when other people said, I don't know if it's a good idea for you to build your house over here on the sand. He probably went, and then he went ahead and built it on sand. You know how you're supposed to build your home. We know the wisdom of God, every one of us, in this room and at home. You know. You know you're supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Did you pull that off this week? Because most of us did the direct opposite. You were quick to speak, quick to angry. And you didn't listen a whole lot because you butted in You jumped in, you accused, and you didn't even have all the information. You're building your house on sand. How many times have you heard a message on 1 Corinthians 13? My goodness, if you go to a wedding, you're going to hear 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You probably know it so well. I bet you have it posted on on someplace in your house, don't you? Been shopping too much at Hobby Lobby. That's what you've been doing, I tell you what. Love is patient. Love is kind. Keeps no record of wrongs. Doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Always trust. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. Looks good on a wall, doesn't it? 
You giving that kind of love? You patient with your spouse? Are you as patient to them as, as Jesus has been to you? You kind to them? You an encourager or a discourager? You cynical and sarcastic and cutting with your words? Do you keep a record of wrongs? When you get into a fight, do you get historical? Not hysterical, historical. You go back in time and you tell them everything that they did wrong and you know the date and the time and how you felt and you just bring it up, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. Because for you, it's not about you know, getting together and reconciling. It's about you winning. It's about you shoving it in their face and showing how they were wrong and making sure you get the apology that you want to get. Because in your immature mind, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but let's just be honest. In your immature mind, you think marriage is about winning. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you walk away from an argument and you feel like you've won, you've lost. Because if you won and they lost, the two became one, you lost too. Do you always trust? Do you always hope? Do you always persevere? Does your love never fail? You know, you're supposed to romance each other. You're supposed to go on dates with each other. This isn't new information. And the coronavirus hit. We're like, Phew. don't have to go to a restaurant anymore, I'll tell you that. No more dates for you. We're going to save ourselves some money, I'll tell you what. Gentlemen, you know you're supposed to be the spiritual leader of your home. That's not new information. Not if you've been around sagebrush for very long. How many times did you bring up spiritual things this week? How many times did you crack open the Bible? How many times did you grab your spouse by the hand and pray with her? And ladies, you know that you're supposed to love your husband and respect him. You're supposed to be the biggest hero of his life. You're supposed to build him up. You're supposed to see things in him that nobody else sees. He just longs to be admired by you. That's all he wants. That's his greatest need is to know that you look to him for, for what you need and, and that you build him up and that you help him see what he can become. You say, I'm not going to do that. If you knew my husband, you'd know why I wouldn't do that. And I'm telling you right now, ladies, if you'll just, if you'll share with him what you see he could be, even though he's not there, and he hears those words from you and they're not condemning, but they're blessings, every man would rise up because there's not a single man that ever wants to disappoint his wife. You, you see, we come here week after week after week after week after week. We, we tune in week after week after week after week, and we nod our head, and we say, that, that guy's a good preacher. He, he's right. That's right. What he's saying right there, that's right. That's good right there. That was good. That was good. Let's leave. We're going out of here. And, and we go home, and we fight, and we're mean, and we're hurtful. And Jesus, nowhere to be found. So for those of us who are here today and watching at home and you want to do more than just nod your head from this point forward, I'm going to give you a homework assignment if you choose to accept it. And if you do my homework assignment, I'm just going to let you know that your marriage will soar. You'll be closer and more intimate in less than 30 days than you've ever been in all the years that you've been married. In fact, couples who do what I'm about to tell you to do, the, the success rate is only one divorce out of a 1,000 couples. If you just do this one 
thing, Christian. Your marriage will be closer and more intimate than ever before. But I also got to warn you that only 8% of Christian couples actually do this. But if you'll do it, it's going to blow your mind. Are you ready? You ready for what it is? You ready for what you need to do? You ready? You sure? Your seat backs and tray tables in their full upright and locked position. You ready to go? I mean, it's going to get turbulent here in just a second. You ready? You sure you're ready? This is what you have to do. Only 8% of Christian couples do this. You ready? Pray together with your spouse. You say, that's it? Yeah, that's it. But, but I'm not talking about at dinner. Because some of the men are like, whew, I do that. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for this meal. Blessed the nourishment of our bodies. Amen. Let's eat. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not that same repetitious, redundant, do-nothing prayer. I don't know. God didn't want to hear that jump. Before you go to bed or right when you wake up in the morning, you grab your spouse by the hand and you spend just a couple of minutes praying, bearing your soul, talking about what you're thinking about, what you need to talk to God about in front of the other person. Now, now, now I know this is scary because there's some guys going, I, I, don't, I don't know if I could do this, man. That, that's super scary stuff, Todd. I, I don't know if I want to do that. That's, that's scary to me. Okay, just start really small. So here's what we're going to do. The guys are going to start. So today, before you go to bed, you, you guys are going to say, let's pray together, just the two of you. And then the next day, the ladies are going to pray. And guys, I'll make it easy for you. Uh, you just say, okay, let's pray. And, and you just pray this. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm praying out loud. Amen. Okay? And that's it. That's your whole prayer. Now, ladies, I know you can't wait for your day. Because I've already seen some of you go, <clears throat> when I said pray together, like, <clears throat> and this is what you're setting yourself up to do. So when now it's your turn to pray. And boy, are you going to pray. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that my husband's eyes have finally been opened to the truth about praying together. I have prayed for this for years, Lord, and finally my prayers have been answered. And this loser that you gave me is finally going to pray. Don't do that. Because you're blowing it. Short prayer. Minute or two. Then over time, start reading the Bible together. Open up the sagebrush app. Do the New Testament plan together. You say, I don't like to read the Bible with her. She's slow. <laughs> okay, I don't care. You read it yourself, and then and they, they can read it themselves, and then come, come have a time where you come and you, you talk about what God's been teaching you. Isn't this the level that you signed up for? Isn't this what a, a, a being a Christian is all about? Now, now, here's what I know to be true. You ready? <laughs> Most of you aren't going to do it. And the reason you're not going to do it isn't because you're afraid you're going to blow it or you're afraid that you're going to make a fool of yourself in front of your spouse when you try to pray and you can't come up with anything to pray for. That, that's, that's not why you're not going to do it. You ready for why you're not going to do it? Because it makes you vulnerable. Because there's nothing more intimate and more vulnerable that two people can do than to seek God in prayer. And so it's going to make you really nervous. And you're going to be scared to death and you're going to opt out. And Jesus won't be the center of your home. And you'll have a good marriage. I mean, it's physical, mental, it'll be great. You go to church and keep nodding your head. And you'll know something's missing. 
You start seeking God together, you start praying together, you won't fight near as much. You won't treat each other the way you've been treating each other. You'll start to treat each other with dignity and respect. You'll start to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You'll start treating each other with patience and kindness and forgiveness and grace. Because you'll constantly, every day, be reminded that that's how God has been treating you all along. And that you are to take the same love that he's given you, and you are to pass it on to somebody else. Will you give it a shot? Now, men, I want you to be the initiator. That means tonight, before you put your head on your pillow, turn the light out and say, you want to pray? And if he doesn't, ladies, you do it. And you pray. And ladies, you might have to pray two, three times before he says, I got it. But men, I believe you can step up. And I need to tell you this. You're going to be held accountable for this, and not by me. But God placed you in this position to steer your family through the chaos and craziness that this world is, and Jesus is the one who will get you through. But you don't get through this unless you depend upon him individually and corporately together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Help us, Lord, to live our lives this way, to seek you in this manner as a couple together. Lord, help us to never just skate by on this spiritual stuff to where we think, oh, I just came to church. I'm good. There's so much more that you want us to experience. So bind our souls together, Lord. Bind us tighter and closer than ever before. I pray, Lord, for these times when they get vulnerable with each other and they spend time talking to you. I pray, God, that those would be sweet times, intimate times, that they would see the transformation in their marriage over this next week and that they would be kinder and more patient and more loving to each other than they've ever been before. All because we're finally putting you as the centerpiece of our home. Help us, God. Give us boldness. Give us courage to do this assignment. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.